As more and more investors and boards elevate the importance given to environmental, social, and corporate governance metrics, greater emphasis is being placed on reporting and transparency. To help ensure investors are able to make informed decisions related to ESG matters, the Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Disclosures, or TCFD, was founded in 2015 as a mechanism to provide standardized reporting methods for organizations to communicate their climate impact data. Hello, I'm your host, Paul Teese. To learn more about the TCFD and business climate resilience, I was joined in this episode of If Win by Adam Little, Jacob's Director of Corporate Sustainability, and Craig Clifton, Jacob's Global Technology Leader for Resilience and Climate Change. In the discussion that follows, Adam and Craig helped me to better understand what the TCFD is and what are some types of climate-related financial risks, as well as steps that organizations might take to offset those. Adam and Craig, thank you both for joining me today to talk about this important topic about climate resilience and uh, financial disclosures. You know, I've seen um, more and more companies are being called to uh, accountability in um, how they are contributing to the fight for appropriate environmental stewardship. And so, you know, I see this acronym TCFD. And so I wanted to kind of get us started, you know, it's kind of a, the table stakes as it were of what we're going to be discussing today. So I'd like to start with Adam. And can you explain for our audience what the, this is a long name, the Task Force on Climate Related Financial Disclosures or the TCFD, what it is and what it strives to achieve? I, I certainly can. And yeah, it is a bit of a mouthful. And there are a lot of acronyms in the climate change and sustainability world. I mean, fundamentally, the TCFD, they're a group. They, they exist really with a purpose to bring consistency and commonality to how businesses understand and disclose uh, financial business risks from climate change. And with that brings uh, a bit of a kind of consistent framework and a bit of order to it. So the, the, the recent report um, that the World Economic Forum uh, puts out around kind of top 10 global risks that are a threat to the, the global economy mm-hmm. identified that there is a need to transition to um, a net zero future. And, that, and with that, it will provide a lot of economic opportunities, perhaps on a scale similar to the Industrial Revolution. Mm-hmm. But that's a very complex transition that's required, and it, and it brings with it risks of social, economic, environmental disorder. Uh, and the TCFD, they've been stood up by the G20 really to bring climate risk reporting into the business mainstream. So they've developed um, a series of recommendations for more effective disclosures and reporting mm-hmm. to help businesses report consistently, transparently on their financial risks and opportunities, aid decision making, integrate climate risks into enterprise risk management and strategy across organizations. Mm-hmm. So they created a framework that focuses on thematic areas of governance, strategy, mm-hmm. risk management, metrics and targets, and it provides businesses with that consistent framework to operate within. But it's still a very a very new area for, for businesses. It's not that there aren't any kind of sets of legislation or regulations that are in force. They, they, they will come in, for, in force for large businesses in the UK this year, mm-hmm. but around the world, it's still an area that is emerging um, and that uh, businesses are, are, are grappling with at the moment. Mm, that's interesting. Now, is it is it fair to say, and maybe this isn't too far afield, but is it fair to say 
that we we are or will uh, see like company stock prices and like how they perform to some degree will be influenced by the TCFD and like how well or how poorly they manage their their environmental stewardship. Uh, yes, uh, it might be a bit of a stretch to say that stock prices are impacted directly by companies' alignment to the TCFD framework, but it's part of a whole suite of measures that come under ESG uh, umbrella. Then yes, uh, that that's part of it, and the TCFD is there to they're there to in, try and steer financial flows towards climate resilient outcomes in the real world. So if businesses start thinking about climate change as it poses a real kind of economic risk to business performance, mm-hmm. uh, then the way that businesses can uh, mitigate the risks and maximize and, and, and act to realize the opportunities, mm-hmm. they can stem the flow, uh, the financial flows towards climate resilient outcomes in the real world. And that's really one of the objectives of the group. Okay, excellent. Now, Craig, what are some examples and types of climate-related financial risks? The, the TCFD talks about two kinds of risk. It breaks them into two categories. One is the, the kind of thing that we would typically think about, and they are the, the physical effects of climate change as it relates to various kinds of natural hazard. And the other is sort of Adam touched on in his preceding point was risks associated with the transition to a low-carbon economy or society. So when we think about physical impact risks, it's it's kind of like you know the effects of natural hazards that are exacerbated by climate change. Like that could be due to flooding, heat waves, wildfire, drought, sea level rise, storms, a whole range of things. And those financial risks arise because something gets damaged, it's got to be repaired, business activities are interrupted, that leads to a, a loss of profitability or greater costs or whatever it might be, mm-hmm. the value of assets that are damaged or you know, they might be lost irrecoverably. Businesses may face increased insurance costs. They may have activities that are located in highly sort of hazard-exposed areas and may need to shift, and there'll be costs associated with those. The transitional risks, well, these are the risks associated, you know, as the name suggests, with the transition to low carbon. And that may be that markets shift because we're moving away from non-renewable power to renewable power or from high emissions technologies to low emissions technologies. The transition will be accompanied by changes in government policy, regulation, legislation and the like, shifts in social trends that affect a business's reputation or its social license. Mm -hmm. And from that, financial risks might arise because the company has stranded assets. They may have invested heavily in coal fire power, for example, and as society transitions away from that, if that's where all their eggs are, that that involves a, a financial risk for them. It may result from a loss of markets, mm-hmm. a loss of customers because they're moving away from high carbon activities to, to lower carbon activities. Risks arise might be because companies invest in a particular kind of technology that actually works out as we're moving along the transition that that wasn't a good choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, it may occur because policy or regulation increases business costs. Mm-hmm. It creates uncertainty. It may be that you know companies like Jacobs, which are operating in multiple markets, face increased complexity around its decision making because different jurisdictions have different policies, different paths or pr- progress on on the on the transition, and that creates all kind of potential costs for it. I think the other thing to think about it is. This whole story is not just about risk. It's also about opportunities as well. 
And so both the transition and the physical uh, risks create opportunities. So in the transition risk, it's about develop, you know, the opportunities around you know, the development or application of low-carbon technologies. Mm-hmm. Maybe that you can attract customers to your business or even staff to your business because you've, you've got integrated and ambitious corporate climate change responses. And even with the, the physical risk, while for society generally, there are not too many upsides of the physical impacts of climate change, but for a business like Jacobs, who work with clients to help them build resilience into their business, their systems, their assets, and the like, there are real opportunities coming out of that for us, businesses like ours. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So I, kind of what I'm hearing is there's, there's kind of a, several different types of risk. Maybe there's risks for the negative impacts that could happen. You know, infrastructure could be damaged or the supply chain could be harmed in some way that sort of thing. But then there's also the risks that are associated with investing in business model changes, like you articulated, yep. shifting away from you know, a very carbon heavy type of energy production to one that is much more conducive to clean, a clean environment and that sort of thing. That doesn't just happen overnight. You don't just flip the switch and you know all of that, but you actually have to invest the money and the, the resources to make that happen. So I'm hearing like kind of a multiple... Uh, characteristics of you know these financial risks some that are positive investment oriented and some that are you know like a problem mitigation yeah and climate change and it adds greater complexity to the the already complex environment the business is operating in mm-hmm. so they need to be thinking through things in in a somewhat different way in another way in addition to the the ways in which they're thinking through complexity of their business already Oh yeah, absolutely. And you know, given how uh, labyrinthian the supply chains are these days on a global market, you know, and like uh, it's just I'm sure it's just kind of staggering to try to to un- or disentangle that. So if I if I can so just on, on that about the, the climate change complexity is is that when you're tra- trying to kind of translate that into business strategy, business planning cycles, which typically follow a kind of three to five year cycle climate change projections look out much, much, much longer over 20, 30, 50, 70 mm. year timeframes uh, mm. when we're talking about um, the, the physical impacts of climate change. And when you look at the scenarios that organizations like the IPCC um, use to project what will likely happen if the world stays on a current trajectory um, or current high emissions trajectory, or it does transition to a low carbon economy and achieve net zero, that's that's very that's a very different timescale that you have to work with, and you have to then translate that into a much shorter time frame to to, to in order to embed that within uh, a business's enterprise risk management strategy. So it does add that other that extra level of complexity that we're that we're dealing with as well. It's really it's really important point about what the TCFD is trying to do. No, that's that's a great point because it's like it really kind of tests, I think, in some ways the organizational strategic fortitude to care to see it through right and again it comes to that as you say like you know if you're budgeting or your investment cycle is like three to five years but you really need to like be in the climate change mitigation game you know for the long haul right like that's it's a 20-year 30-year journey or whatever it may be it does test your organizational fortitude down the road Oh yeah, that was that was a pet project for our past CEO, but our new CEO is focused on this, or we need to, you know, our stock price needs to 
you know, go north of something or other, you know, so it's kind of interesting that you have something like the TCFD and, you know, you have these, uh, you know, the street is more and more, like you mentioned earlier, like really focused on ESG matters. So it's going to help drive that positive. It'll incentivize a, content, a sustained effort, I guess, is what I would say toward, you know, remediation. Now, Adam, what are some steps that organizations should consider taking to offset these risks? Yeah. And I think and this kind of then just builds on that last point that you were making in terms of kind of build, building this into um, how, how a business kind of looks at risk across its enterprise. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think uh, Craig made the point that risks and opportunities, uh, certainly for a company like Jacobs, we, we, we work across lots of different markets. We're a really diverse organization, whereas a lot of businesses stick within uh, or operate within one industry. Right. We are, we are very, we're very different. And so by, by going through this process, we've identified risks and opportunities from climate change that are material to our organization. But it's really important to understand those risks from multiple perspectives within an industry. And climate change, it will have an impact across all parts of the global economy. There isn't a single part of the world that will not be impacted in some way. Mm-hmm. So we've taken steps first to align to the TCFD's risk management frameworks, which it's helped us enormously to frame the risks and opportunities, albeit still at quite a high level, but we've looked across our markets, across both lines of businesses, mm. and tried to quantify that in some way. Mm. Uh, so firstly, that, that's, that's the first step that I think businesses should try and take, is to, is to try and understand what risks and opportunities exist within an industry, but that are material to their organization. There'll also be non-climate related drivers that will impact on each of those risks as well. But how a particular climate related risk will impact on different stakeholders within an industry. And then what follows is what action you can take. It will vary from business to business, industry to industry, region to region. So the step that we are now looking at this year is how we can then build climate risk uh, management through, through mitigation and adaptation strategies into each of our market strategies. But taking that first step of understanding uh, in terms of how climate change will impact your business operations, it can be really complicated, yeah. pretty daunting. How do you go about it? You know, the, the TCFD provide guidelines, they provide a framework, they do not provide a checklist that you can follow line by line and, and it will spit a result out at the end mm-hmm. because it's different. Each business has to kind of take the framework, take the guidelines and make it their own. But I think that one step that businesses can take is is framing how climate change will impact you, your customers, your suppliers, your communities, the region that you work in, and then start to think about how can you adapt and mitigate. So through mitigation activities, we talk about decarbonizing your business, Um, look at measuring your carbon impact, setting carbon reduction targets, putting simple implementation measures in place, monitoring progress. Adaptation is changing, it is adapting to the change that will likely come, either to mitigate risks or capitalize on those opportunities. And that can be done through a kind of a similar sort of planning cycle. Mm-hmm. But it's taking that first step to really kind of think about climate change and put boundaries around the assessment to, to make it manageable. Mm-hmm. But it has to be relevant to your business operations and think about how climate change will impact upon your operations and your resilience uh, uh, and your your, your um, resilience uh, to success 
Mm, that's interesting. And I think it's like, in a way, it's kind of, it's an incentive to like get, get into your business and really understand your business, you know, and, and, and really take a, a sharp look at it uh, strategically, you know, because with something like this, and, you know, if we read the tea leaves, I mean, you can see that regulators are going to, you know, more and more be like, they're going to be uh, on top of companies to make sure that there's some compliance. Uh, yeah. Investors are going to demand it. Customers are going to demand it. Uh, you know, there's there's a, a number of parties at play that any uh, enterprise, absolutely. yeah, it's going to have, it's like, well, you can't ignore it. Now, Craig, you know, kind of building on what Adam was saying, you know, can you speak to the concept of business resilience, uh, especially in the context of climate risks? When I think about resilience, I think about, well, what are we to be resilient to? And, and when we think about that, we think about the effects of disruptive trends and events. If you think about that from a climate perspective, you know, the kinds of trends are the, you know, the physical impacts that we talked about before, sea levels are rising, the atmosphere is warming, the climate in, in some locations where I am in Australia, parts of Australia, it's drying, water security is declining, seas are acidifying, and that's having an effect on marine food webs, a whole range of potential physical impacts. The trends also refer to, you know, the low carbon transition, you know, risks associated with changing markets, technology, regulation, social license, and the like. And it also includes resilience to extreme events, storms, wildfire, floods, and the like. So resilient businesses are able, kind of a bit what Adam was talking about before, they're able to anticipate and prepare. They look ahead, they've thought about what my my lie ahead for them, and they've prepared for the challenges that may emerge. And that could be higher sea levels, floods, water insecurity. It could be some of those, you know, those uh, government regulation changes, the change in in uh, the electricity grid, the, you know, the need to decarbonise. And so they think about, you know, they anticipate what might change, they prepare, and they prepare in a, in a risk-based way. So they're thinking about, well, what's, what's the consequence for our business of this? How likely is it to occur? And so when allocating the resources and energy and effort, they think about, well, what are the things that pose the greatest risk? Well, conversely, what are the things that create the greatest opportunity for us? Because resilience is not just about managing the, the adverse outcomes, it's also positioning for the opportunities that emerge too. So resilience businesses, you know, they anticipate and prepare, but they're also able to resist things that are adverse conditions for a period of time. You know, because they've been prepared, they've created diversity in their supply chain. So if one market is, is affected by, you know, a, high, a cyclone or a hurricane that's exacerbated by climate change, they've got another source for their products. You know, they, they've, uh, you know if they're, they're located in a particular location, you know, it's, for example, you know, infrastructure that's sensitive to flooding, uh, like uh, pump stations on a sewage system. They've lifted those up above the flood levels. They've worked to decarbonise their business and so they can avoid costs or, or market pressures that, that are associated with high emissions. Mm-hmm. So they've, they're able to sort of resist and work with those changes. And then when some kind of adverse effect occurs, their planning has influenced their capacity to recover. So they can recover quickly. They've thought about what they need to do to get the business operating back again quickly mm-hmm. and and a resilient business is also one that learns and so if uh, disruptions occur people think about well why did that happen what how can we position ourselves better in future so that those things don't occur as well and so you know i guess that speaks to the concept of resilience so anticipating and preparing resisting recovering learning and and really 
making sure that the business is also, as I said, set up to position for the opportunities that may emerge from these kinds of changes that we're talking about. Mm, I like that. And I like the, you know, kind of hone in on the learning aspect, uh, particularly in relation to Jacobs and the next couple of questions I have are, are for both of you. Uh, and it's regarding like Jacobs, what Jacobs is doing first for itself, but then also for its clients. And I like it in the context of learning because Jacobs is such a varied as Adam said, you know, it's a varied business. It's, it's involved in so many different sectors, so many facets of society. And so I imagine there's just so many learnings that are, are transpiring, uh, you know, across the enterprise. And so, so my first question here uh, for both of you, and I'll start with Adam, and then I will bring it back to Craig and ask Craig to weigh in on it as well. But so Adam, the question is, when it comes to climate-related financial risks and our climate response in general, what is Jacobs doing in regards to its own operations? There's probably too many to mention on, uh, <laughs> on this recording, uh, but uh, the, the biggest change that we've seen, uh, which is quite a recent change, uh, just happened kind of late last year, we established uh, a central office of global climate response, uh, an ESG which has a reporting line into our president and chief operating officer, Bob Pregada. The office is there to act as a connecting point for our go-to-market solutions, which will really drive the ethos that every project we deliver can now become a climate response opportunity to accelerate things like the energy transition, decarbonization, climate adaptation and resilience, natural resource stewardship. It might take a little bit of thinking. It might take a little bit of kind of reassessment of how we deliver that project or how we engage the client in, in opening on middle game sales pursuits. But the opportunity is there to make every project that climate response opportunity. And like we've been discussing around the TCFD, I, I, I see this as a, as a huge platform to drive and us to kind of frame market opportunities across our business. Mm-hmm. So we've taken those steps to map out our own climate-related financial risks. And, and yes, it's still at a high level, but as we get deeper into the nuances of our risks and opportunities across each of our end markets, mm-hmm. the assessment, as well as being part of our overall enterprise risk management processes, can serve as that engine for growth and feed into the, into the climate accelerator and serve the purpose of what the Office of Global Climate Response is there to do for the business. It's so important to be collaborative and, and work in partnership with our clients to understand how to take effective climate action together. And I think that is part of it, either through just doesn't necessarily need to be just through delivering projects. It could just be picking up the phone, having a conversation, scheduling a workshop just for learning and knowledge share. It can be as simple as that. In terms of our own operations to kind of limit our climate impact, I mean, we've set science-based targets. We are in the process of signing up to the new corporate standard for net zero that's been developed by the science-based targets initiative which will result in much more ambitious and longer-term science-based targets for all of our scope one scope two scope three emissions we recently uh, rebranded our travel planning tool which is now called go smart and that embeds a carbon pricing feature so we are currently uh, imposing a carbon price on all non-billable travel um, at a rate of 50 dollars per ton which generates kind of awareness uh, and education around the need to travel uh, and makes people aware of the impact, the environmental impact and the financial impact of non-essential travel to encourage people to make more sustainable decisions around how, when, if they travel. Mm -hmm. 
the revenue generated by that will go into a ring-fenced carbon reduction fund that we can then use to invest in other kind of market-leading opportunities to further decarbonize the industries in which we work. We've also partnered with the Royal Scottish Geographic Society to produce a climate solutions accelerator course. And that, again, provides a, a really kind of accessible bite-sized video-based course that employees can, can access to raise awareness and education around the basic science of climate change and simple actions that, that, we, that we can take place. So a lot of it is around kind of taking simple steps to decarbonize our own business. Mm-hmm. A big part of it is uh, raising awareness and, and, and educating people around what it is just on the simple science. Not everyone is aware of the basic science of climate change. And then understanding those risks and opportunities is a much more complex, broad part of the equation that trickles down into all of our, all of our markets to drive those growth opportunities. Mm, excellent. And then Craig, uh, the same question for you, just to piggyback on what Adam was saying, you know, what, when it comes to climate related financial risks and our climate response in general, you know, from your viewpoint, what is Jacobs doing in regards to its operations? Well, Adam's covered the, the list pretty well. I, I think I'd focus on a couple of other additional areas to what, he, what he's saying. And mm-hmm. I guess one, one of those is, is around the use of technology. And, and it's really a couple of things. One is, is developing tools and technology that our, allow our project teams to think about climate risk on the projects that we deliver. So not all of the projects that we do at Jacobs have, have some kind of climate risk associated with them but most of them do. And so we need our people to be able to access information that can tell them over the life of the project, you know, what, what, does, what may climate change mean, to challenge them to think about what are the, you know, the, what are the sort of you know, emissions implications of that. And so one of, the, you know, what, one of the things that we're doing is really helping to provide our teams with access to, to the kind of information that they can use in, in that, that process so that, we've, you know, so that we are really thinking through the risks associated with each project that we're doing that, that are materially exposed. In Jacobs, we have a solutions and technology network as part of our business model, but we're not expecting everyone in the company to be experts in, in, in climate change. And so our solutions and technology sort of aspect of our business allows people to draw into to networks where they can actually easily and efficiently access the people that really do have specialist knowledge in this area so that they can bring that expertise to bear on our projects. Some projects, you know, high-level information is adequate. Uh, other projects where there's deep climate risk exposure, a real opportunity or challenge around decarbonisation, we do need to draw the specialists in. And within Jacobs, we have incredible depth of expertise across the the full spectrum of, of climate response. Mm. Now to flip the script a little bit and take our view outside of Jacobs, you know, and this, I'm going to ask Craig first, and then Adam, I'll ask you to add color to it as well. But Craig, what differentiators does Jacobs bring to assist its clients and their operations and to manage their business risks from climate change? I think there are a few. And, and- I guess the first one, and are we different from others? Perhaps not, but I think integrity is a really important one. Mm-hmm. Climate response is not just something that we take seriously for our clients' business. Now, as, as Adam talked about, it's, it's something that we're, as Jacobs, are really committed to ourselves. We're committed to addressing our own emissions. We're committed to understanding, governing, managing our own climate financial risks and, and other kinds of climate risks. 
so we, we're interested in being, you know, we, we know that we're on a journey at Jacobs. We, we haven't got it all right just yet. Um, and, and we're learning about ways of doing it better. And, and so, we're, you know, this is integrity about our, our approach. We're, we're not saying it's, well, it's all about you. It's, it's, it's about working in partnership, collaborating, as, as Adam said before, with our clients to actually work on solutions together that help us, that help them, and that help the societies in which we're involved. So I think that integrity is really important. I think it's one of the things that our staff increasingly recognise and value about the company is that we're actually taking this seriously about our own business and how we interact with our clients on that. Mm-hmm. I think another thing that, that, you know, that may differentiate us is, is integration. And so you, know, you think about climate change, it involves... Yeah, it's it's deeply embedded in its implications are deeply embedded in clients' business. And so at Jacobs, we bring deep knowledge of our clients' business, the infrastructure that they operate, the the systems or other processes that are going on. We understand their stakeholders, the the communities in which they're working, the regulatory environment, and, and so on. We apply you know, rigorous strategic thinking and analysis of climate risks and impacts, low carbon transition to to their business. We, we can collaborate with them and we do collaborate with them to plan or design for uh, strengthening the resilience or decarbonisation. We help them bring appropriate technology, like that might be standard off-the-shelf technology or we can work with them to, to innovate where that's appropriate, where the client has the resources and that technology is appropriate to them. And then we can work with them to deliver or implement their plans, their designs, their, their programs. So the, the opportunity is there if it's required to that sort of whole end-of-end climate response or taking you know, individual parts of it as appropriate to where we're engaged with our client. But I think that the capacity to integrate with our client's business and help them solve the very complex challenges associated with climate change, I think is a really important feature of Jacobs. And I guess the, the third one that I, I'd touch on and leave it at that is, is sort of you know, the combination of global reach and local relevance. Mm-hmm. I talked before about our solutions and technology network that helps people in our offices distributed across the, the various countries in which we're operating, draw on key experts, specialists across the, the various dimensions of the climate response globally. And so with a relatively small number of calls or emails or whatever, they can, they can get in touch with a, a key specialist in in another country or their own if they didn't know about them. They can talk to them and they can bring that project locally. And, and because we've sort of, you know, through the through COVID, we've pivoted to online working, people don't need to travel as much. And so we, the opportunities to bring that expertise into local projects with that expertise interpreted by people who understand the local challenges, local opportunities, I think it's a real advantage for us having that sort of global reach, but that broad network of local offices to interpret and, and contextualise the, the great knowledge that we can bring. So I think that there's there's a few points there. Adam's probably got some others as well. Excellent. Well, thank you. And then Adam, so the question, what differentiators does Jacobs bring to assist its clients and their operations and to manage their business risks from climate change? Yeah, absolutely. And, and look, Craig's given a really comprehensive answer there. I, I think uh, one thing that we, we did touch upon in the, in the previous question was uh, around innovation and how we approach the challenge of solving problems um, for clients. And we've built up a real capability and a, and a discipline around how we practice innovation um, within Jacobs and how we take that out to our clients. 
And I think that's a real success story for the organization, um, having that network of facilitators, network of people that, are, that understand now how to look at a problem differently, how to kind of reframe it, how to kind of work through, well, what is that problem? What is it that our clients are trying to solve? And then trying to figure out the best way of identifying a solution that brings value to the client and, and to us. I think that is, is, a, is, a, is a real differentiator for Jacobs. I also think our leadership commitment to sustainability and the climate response um, is another because without it, you wouldn't have things like the Plan Beyond strategy, for example, that is built on a foundation of the sustainable development goals. This discussion has been all about climate change and the climate response. Now, that is a massive problem in itself to solve, but climate change leads to lots of other problems around social um, inequalities and environmental damage around the world. Climate change underpins all other sustainable development goals. And the fact that we have a company strategy that seeks to address that um, holistically is a fantastic thing. We wouldn't have done a TCFD assessment, would it not been for our leadership commitment to focus on areas around ESG, climate response, sustainability. Mm. That in itself is now proving to serve to be a differentiator and has led to client discussions and requests for support to, to do likewise. Uh, so that leadership commitment is a real differentiator for us. And with that, the acquisitions that have taken place recently, specifically PA consulting, you know, when you're talking about things like TCFD, you start to get into the realm of a more kind of uh, traditional management consulting, depending on the stakeholders that you need to engage across the client organization to talk at that level. And that's an extra capability that the PA can bring to Jacobs. All of those things kind of brought together are really strong differentiators that we can take out to our clients. Mm. Well, Adam and Craig, I want to thank you both so much for uh, this conversation today. I think it's been very illuminative and uh, I've learned a lot. And, you know, obviously like with something like with the TCFD, you know, it's vitally important to a company's strategic mission. And obviously I, I think to just kind of encapsulate Adam, what you were just saying, you know, it seems to, it starts with leadership, you know, and it's like to, for something like this, it, it may be a bit of an onerous lift, but to not do it would be, you know, far worse. And so, um, you know, it's just one of those things. We just got to get to it and just get it done. So, uh, but I want to thank you both so much for joining me today. You're welcome. Thank That's you. Cool.